Hey everybody, Mike Costello here with Hunting Ain't Easy, and um, it's the day after Christmas, the year is winding down, and last week I had the opportunity to go down to Arizona to do an over-the-counter archery hunt. Um, turned out it was a little bit of a bow hike, but that's all right. Um, before I, I got down there, as, in fact, as I was driving to Arizona, I reached out to John Stallone with the podcast days in the wild uh, to hit him up with some questions about uh, tips and techniques and tactics to hunt in the desert. Uh, John has been producing content and giving advice <laughs> and sharing stories about hunting in the Southwest and the, in the desert um, for years. And so I actually had binged on his podcast back in January when I first got this tag to hunt down there in Arizona. And so I thought it'd be appropriate to reach out to him and say hello and ask some more questions and share a little bit about what I experienced so far and then what I was hoping to experience on this trip. So uh, following um, in this podcast, we've got uh, a, the conversation between John and I as I was heading down south, uh, full of optimism and uh, enthusiasm and great clarity on how successful this was going to be and how I was going to see deer every day. Um, and then what my technique or my, my approach would be in terms of deciding, you know, when to go in on a deer, um, and all that. And so you gotta be a little bit delusional and optimistic, uh, to go into any hunt like this. It's definitely an area that Arizona, Arizona game of fish says is a low density area for deer turned out to be true, but, uh, really enjoyed the conversation with John and appreciate him taking some time on a Friday afternoon to, to share with me um, some of his information and, and expertise. And then, uh, so we've got that as the first half of the podcast. And then second half of the podcast, roughly, is I've got a recap on what happened while I was down there and what I saw, what I didn't see. And hopefully there will be a, enough in that story that you can extract some ideas about what you might experience when you go down that way. Um, and also just hopefully it inspires you to get out and, and, uh, try something new, um, get into some new, new territory and, and just, you know, expose yourself to more hunting opportunities whenever you can. So enjoy the conversation. We'll kick it off with, uh, Mike, myself <laughs> and John Salone as I head to Arizona and we'll follow that with the hunt recap. So thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to Days of the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. Brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. This is a bonus episode I did with Mike Costello of Hunting Ain't Easy. He was on his way down to Arizona, had a bunch of questions about hunting here during the OTC archery deer hunt. So we decided to record it. Gotta warn you, the audio is not great. Um, but it's got some good information on it. So uh, I thought I'd throw it out there. Here we go. Well, this is kind of like an impromptu uh, podcast, guys. Uh, I got Mike Costello, and uh, Mike is a podcast host, but uh, he's on his way here to Arizona, and he reached out to me, so we kind of uh, decided to turn it into a podcast. So let's uh, let's kind of start with uh, with you're coming here to obviously you know, hunt deer, and uh, yep. what uh, what are some of the things that you want to know? that we can put into this podcast <laughs> other than yeah, spots 
I don't give people <laughs> spots anymore anyway because it always bites me in the ass. But absolutely, yeah, we're the big muleys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's funny about this is that, and the reason I reached out is literally like 50 weeks ago, first week of January last year or this year, I was binging on your podcast <laughs> nice. as I was driving to Arizona. As I was driving to Arizona for the first time. And now that I've got uh, nine hours or so of windshield ahead of me, I figured I'd reach out and see if we could talk about hunting in Arizona. Yeah, um, I'm excited. I, I, uh, I'm, you know, I'm coming from California, and it's funny because I talked to the biologists down there both last year and and this year as well, or last season, January, and, and a few weeks ago for this season, and they always they told me, oh, you know, the deer numbers are low. You're not going to see a lot of deer, like not going to see, you know, you're not going to see a lot of bucks. And then, um, but relative to where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. you know, central over the counter, central California over the counter, D zone. Oh, B zone. Yeah, no D. Oh, D, 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 D zone primarily. Yeah, Sierra Nevada. Um, you know, if I see, if I can sit on a, a ridge overlooking you know, some of the flats in the desert and see one or two bucks a day or one buck a day, mm-hmm. that might be one buck more than I would have seen in, uh, in, in my home home area. So, okay. Yeah. You should be okay then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Relative to what I'm used to low deer counts in Arizona are, 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 are just fine. Yeah. Well, see the thing about the, so uh, we're not going to give the unit that you're going to hunt. So think about the unit that you're going to, that I think you're going to hunt based on whatever you're texting me. Um, yeah, the the density is super low, but yeah. if you see a good if you see a buck, it's probably going to be a good one. Yeah, that's that's the thing about where you're going to hunt. There's a, you know, and that's that's pretty common for all of Arizona. So any of the areas that are lower buck to doe, uh, excuse me, lower density and higher buck to doe ratios are mm-hmm. usually bigger buck units like you seem now in arizona's this goes for elk or anything like you could literally throw a dart and you can if you put the work in you can find you know a 400 inch bull or you can find a you know 190 inch buck muley buck or 100 yeah. 100 inch coos buck whatever the units it's not like some other states where you they just don't produce, you know, they don't have the genetics. The genetics are now that being said, there's there's units that are way better that there's a, you know, like a higher uh frequency of or the higher chance of seeing a you know, larger buck or a larger bull yeah. since we we brought I brought it up whatever. But um yeah. It's just, it's not uncommon to see one come out of just anywhere. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. That's the one thing Arizona's got got going for it still. I, I like that. Um, in January when I came down, I came into one of the central Arizona units. And um, uh-huh. the first day, I think the first day I saw, um, First full day, I saw a small a group of deer, group of uh, I think it was like two fawns, a few does, and then what I would consider a nice buck. Now I'm I'm a new hunter. I'm I'm five years in, just got my first buck 
Mayfield this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but it was, uh, and, I, and I couldn't score a, I couldn't score a buck if, if you laid it out in front of me with measuring tape. So I don't know. I don't know what a 170 buck looks like if I've seen one or not. Right. But, um, but I saw what looked like a, there looked like a, a, a three by three or a three by four mm-hmm. nice buck. You know, not not huge by any means, but it was like oh, okay, there's there's a good buck in there, and there's also I think a, a, a forky um, in amongst this group. And what I'd heard through podcasts like yours is is often that if it's pre rut, you know, you'll get the younger bucks hanging out with the does. And then when the rut's on, there's like this the the, the switch gets flipped, and then right. the big big bucks show up. Yes, and, um, and like as though it was staged for me, um, the next day there was a there was a new buck in that group, uh-huh. and and that buck absolutely dwarfed all the other deer in the group. I mean, the does could walk underneath them; it seemed like. Yeah, and he just—I'm <laughs> like, okay, that's the buck. That's the one that I need to be looking for. That's the one I was waiting for. Yeah, because uh, you know, kind of a typical rack four by four, just huge body, and um, I have no idea what he would have scored. But it was like it was like what I'd been learning uh, in the term, you know, in terms of the big buck shows up after the others have been out with the does for a little bit. Yeah, so this is a good. That's a good uh, place for me to give you a little tidbit, and you probably already know this now because you said you binged some of my my uh, podcasts. But the the thing about the rut is, if you find does and you find several groups of does, like you can find a uh, a large group of does, and there won't be a buck with them. But mm-hmm. that large group of does is probably not going to go very far. They'll probably be there the next day or in a few days or whatever. You got to go back uh-huh. to check those deer because eventually yeah. one of them is going to start smelling right and a buck is going to show up. They will come from right. miles and miles away. <laughs> um, I can't tell you how many times I have bucks patterned in the early part of the season and they are four or five miles away, and I know because they're four or five miles away, I find does that are within yeah. within five, six miles of these deer, and I know that they're going to be on those does eventually. They will That's come awesome. from they'll come from wherever the hell they're at <laughs> all the way to where the does are. It's not like us not like un, unlike us uh, retard guys that do bend over backwards <laughs> to get chicks they do the same thing so which means going back to where that buck was you know as as you move in a rut mm-hmm. maybe that may be a mistake because the good chance unless the does are already there he's he's leaving right so if you have found deer in october or november because you went yeah. and did some scouting um and there wasn't does around and you just found like bucks Chances are they those deer will not be there when you go back. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no scouting on this trip for me. I scout a lot in in my home area. Um, a lot, probably too much. <laughs> but, uh, oh, but that's how you learn the land. You know, it's yeah. it's also about you know putting your feet on the ground and seeing where to go and how to get there and like now when you glass up something from 
you know, the ridge or whatever you're talking about. Yeah. And it's not just theory. You, you're not just dropping down and, and go, when you know your boots have already been there, you're like, okay, I know I, where that deer is. That little rise is something I can stand behind or I can, you know, that kind of stuff. And that's that's really important. That's like yeah. makes the difference between a successful stalk and, a, and having a blown stalk is many times it's, it's not that easy in the glass to determine comes with practice and lots of experience. But a lot of that experience is with you actually doing the walk down there. Um, and not, not, you know, you're not, it's really hard to recognize what those features are that you're looking. I can recall years, years ago hunting with, um, one of my cousins and he was talking me in on a radio and he's like, John, that buck is right above you. He's like 50 yards. He's like 50 yards. And, and I'm like, Yo, man, you're you're freaking crazy. There, there's no deer. I would be able to see it. I'm looking that direction. I will not. There is no deer there. And it turns out this buck was actually back, like two ridges beyond behind me, like two rollers. Yeah. But you know, at the time, I don't think his glass was as good as it is now. But you you don't see it looks like all one ridge right it looks like all one thing uh-huh. it's just like a little bit of undulation but really what it is is a drop down and up and a drop down and up and i started to go that way and once i got to the top of the ridge that I, like the little roller that i was on i could see across to him but i was 150 yards from him it's just that kind yeah. of stuff happens and if you don't spend the time stalking and you know, scouting and walking around and trying to figure that stuff out, you may not be successful because it might not be something that you can recognize in the binos. But yeah, that was, that was a lesson learned in January, um, getting up on a ridge or a a peak, probably only maybe 300 feet up from the, I'd say the flats looking down, it looks flat. It looks like I'm looking at one continuous, yeah. you know, <laughs> one continuous canvas of, uh, of, of the terrain and then getting down in there, realizing, yeah, there's, there's five different washes between me and the deer and then trying to figure out which one the deer were actually, you know, which of those little ridges or spines the deer were actually on was, mm-hmm. was quite, that was an awakening for me. I did have one, I'll say I had one good stock or one successful stock in the sense that I got um, from about a mile away, I was able to, was able to, to set, you know, map out a path, you know, kind of get myself behind a little ridge so I was no longer visible, drop down through a wash and got to within 30 yards of a buck. This mm-hmm. is just forking. And um, I got anxious in that last 30 yards because there was a little knob between me and where I thought the deer would be. And of course I'm trying to figure out which, which bush I was looking for. Um, cause they all look the same at that point. And so I got sloppy literally, you know, in the last five yards trying to get my head up over the knob so I could see where the deer was. And as soon as I did pop up over it, mm-hmm. he was looking right, he was looking right at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't say that I've been there before. <laughs> no, no, never. I've, I've never made that mistake. 
<laughs> so I was like, all right, well, good, good on the first mile. Um, just that last five, 10 yards is, is need some work. Yeah. But, uh, that's but usually where that's, it falls apart. <laughs> that's usually where it falls apart is, uh, it's so funny. I can't tell you how many times I've found myself doing that. Like I've spent all this time going slow and being super quiet. And then yep. when I need to be doing it the most is when I, when I don't, you know, and yeah. I think, I think the majority of people will do that if you're not conscious about it. If you got to like, cause you get anxious and you get excited. You're like, Oh shit, I'm freaking here, dude. I'm, I'm like right, right by him. I yep. gotta, I gotta hurry up and get this done. And, yeah, um, I'm sure I, that gets I that gets taken, a lot of people. Trust me, <laughs> I could have taken an hour for that next ten yards, probably, and it would, and, and the deer still would have been there. But um, I didn't. So lessons lessons learned. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm I'm excited about it. That was that was a fun trip. Um, literally followed these this small group of, of deer for about three days. Uh, back and forth across this valley and um i don't know if i was pushing them or they were doing their normal normal pattern but i just never could get within other than that one deer um that one buck i could never get within more than you know maybe 100 or 200 yards of them to actually put a stock on that bigger buck but for as a as a as a, and this is obviously why so many people come to arizona for archery you know as a opportunity to kind of work on work on skills work on glassing skills work on stocking skills and just have those plays you know a couple a couple times a day right uh, it was it was incredible because you just don't get that i mean you've hunted california you don't get bucks out in the open like that um in your typical you know blacktail or even muley zone for california yeah oh uh, i don't know i feel like i i Everywhere I've hunted in California, even some of the uh, less favorable places, um, yeah. I've gotten into a lot of deer. Now, the, my, my biggest thing with California is the time of year and the conditions do not make it very conducive for spot and stalk hunting. And uh, really, I can't tell you, I, I, I probably have 100 stories easy where I was 110 yards or about 110 yards or maybe even less, like 90, 90 <laughs> to 110 yards, and I just couldn't get any closer, couldn't do anything about it, and I had to watch deer walk away, and or, or, yeah. I, or I blew him out or whatever, you know the case, um, a couple of times where I sent some carbon in the air, but um, yeah. It, that that that's the thing about California. So, um, but I noticed I hunt a lot different than everybody else did when when I started hunting out here or out there, I should say. Um, you know, with the tripod and glass and all that, and everybody was going for a bow hike. Um, uh huh. And then they were, you know, wondering why they didn't see any deer, because they hear you coming from a million miles away because it's so crunchy and yeah. loud, and yeah, it's it's terrible. So, um, I saw a lot of deer, had a lot of opportunities, always have in California, but it's been a difficult place for me to, to score, split the way that I hunt and my, my level of patience, which is not great. So, uh, well, uh walking on cornflakes issue. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Arizona, 
you know, I think is is a wonderful place for people to, you know, get some. It's one of the hardest places, I think, to spot and stalk because honestly, and I'm not, I don't want to diminish anything like high country bucks and all that stuff. I think they're way easier. It's yeah. a way easier hunt for me personally. It might be a little bit more physical, you know, more hiking sure. involved and dealing with elevation and whatnot, but I think it's an easier hunt for me personally. Um, you know, a uh, velvet deer are a little bit more patternable. Like right. on a rut hunt like this, you can find the buck. He could be laying down with a doe and it could be 1130 and you're like, oh, cool. This is a slam dunk. He's in his freaking day. He's in his day bed. And halfway over to him, he's up and he's pushing that doe around. Yeah. And, and you can't do anything about it. Um. What I do love about, and I love, I do love the rut. I, 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 I enjoy it more than any of the other hunts. Is that if you're hunting with a partner, especially, mm -hmm. um, it's very conducive to what I call spot and ambush. I actually wrote an article, um, okay, a while back. I think it might actually be on my blog. And if it's not, I might throw it up there. Let's see. I did. I I wrote it for Earned Magazine a few years back. And spot and ambush. So I don't. This is not going to be. A, are you hunting with somebody? No. Solo. Okay. Jared Solo. So this will. I mean, it 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 can still work for you. Um, uh, I've I've done it myself personally, especially with antelope. Um, but what I. What I do is I watch the deer and I kind of watch their movements and I try to get to where they're going before they get there and have them come to me. Yeah. So I'm spotting and stalking kind of like I would, but I don't go to the deer. I go to where they're going to go. And that comes, yeah. you know, sometimes it's super easy. You can see them they're you know, they're just walking and feeding, walking and feeding and it's you know, they're heading on a pretty steady line. Uh, they're usually walking into the wind, so you got to be really conscientious about cheating the wind and getting it right so that you can make it work. But um, that is by far been my biggest tactic uh, or my most successful tactic during the rut. Uh, waiting till like waiting till their bed is you know like i said it's it, it can work out really well for you but it's got to be one of those situations that you cannot waste time you put a deer to bed you're like he's not going to be there for several hours he's going to be there for like an hour might even be there for a half an hour whatever the case may be but you you just got to make it quick you know cover ground quickly and then slow up when you're close enough that you need to you know that kind of situation yeah the, the other the other side of the coin on the rut I, I think i experienced that with this group that i was following for a few days last year was um they didn't settle down a whole lot the the bug the, the the two bucks were that were in the group the most were up and on their feet more than anything mm -hmm. and then the other issue was that uh 
you got all those other eyes and noses and ears. <laughs> true. Very true. <laughs> there was, uh, there was uh, one of the junior bucks in that group never could quite hang out close with the does and the, and the older buck. He would always bed down like 100 yards out. And so I'd have to find him before I even attempt anything. And I realized they've got this thing wired to where the does are all looking different directions. Yep. Yeah. The, the junior bucks are kicked out of the group. So they're, they're, they're like the alarm. They're the sentry out of 100 yards out. And, uh, and you're going to get in past all those. And it's obviously, it's not easy. No. No. It's definitely not but easy. I, I like the idea. So I'm going to be down for about five days. And I like the idea of... You know, if I can keep myself disciplined, and I see some people doing the first day or two of just spend, you know spending that time watching them to get an idea of what their what their full day pattern is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that is, if I can maintain my own discipline and and watch them for that day or two to get a sense of what they're doing, and then apply that to the next day when I actually go in and try to stalk them. Right. But, again having it work out that way and, and then keeping myself from saying, oh, I'm just going to go for it is, uh, is, is going to be a little bit of a chore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good at doing that. I'm not very good usually, at being, I'm not patient at all. <laughs> I'm a go, go, go guy, but yeah, luckily I've been go, go, going for long enough that, uh, I have a lot more, uh, experience to recall on during those stocks, you know, but um, yeah, it, it, you know, it may not even be that you need to watch them for a full day, just kind of just watch them for a little bit and kind of see the direction that they're going. Uh, yeah. make, make note of the wind, they're usually going to feed into the wind, you know, yeah, usually that's that's not a hard, fast rule for anything, especially not during a rut, but that is a you know, rule of thumb, I guess. So, and in the desert, so obviously, you know, in the mountains, uh, alpine setting, mm-hmm. thermals can be pretty solid and, and kind of fixed in place during the, you know, at least the middle of the day, you can rely on thermals. Is is the desert a whole different issue as far as that goes? Or, or no, you, I, I think it, it, it's more steady. <laughs> I think the desert, okay. the desert floor, once the thermals are going up, it's a lot, it's a lot more. Uh, steady than than you would if you were up at elevation. So, well, that's good. Yeah. Um, and this time of year, the wind and the weather is a little bit more predictable. Um, you know, early season you deal with monsoons and winds change a lot, and it's hot, and you get not only you get thermals going up, you get um, thermal um i forgot exactly how it's called but it's like where the wind sucks in and sucks back um and that happens a lot more during the you know the hotter months um and the other thing is you you know we we will get december this time of year we will get some rains we just got some so that helps kind of like moisten the floor up and well the ground up and make it a little bit more quiet um, then you would be dealing with, um, you know, let's say, well, I mean, you get monsoons too, that can, 
we get the monsoons and rains, then you get that too. But it dries up a lot faster. Yeah, so. you guys had a great season. Great, great season for rain this year. Yeah. Does, does, does that carry over? You know, it's been monsoons or you know August, July, August, September. Um, does that carry over in terms of the green up? Is it is it still? No, no, it's definitely not as green as it was, but we are, we have, we've already gotten two rains here in the last, you know, couple weeks. Um, so I'm starting to see some more green, green up coming back through, but there's a lot of dead, like tall grass right now. And depending on where okay. you're, depending on where you're hunting, I, my daughter had a, um, November junior tag for Havelina. And, uh, holy shit, man, it, it's like grass, like up to your chest and it's all dead. Wow. And, and it was, we, I mean, hard, very, you could barely see the deer. So like, it was super hard to find Havelina. Um, I bet. but, um, yeah. So depending on where you go, I, I don't, I don't think in the unit that you're going to is going to be, you're going to run into much of that. Not too grassy. I don't think it's a grassy unit. No, no it's definitely not a grassy <laughs> unit. That is. I think it's. I think it's thorny. Yeah, well, they're all thorny. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't think you're gonna have that issue there because that that gets even less rain. So I don't think yeah. you got that. Um, you know that really tall grass growing. So so in January. We're coming off of, you know, or is in the midst of that horrible, horrible drought. Um, mm -hmm. The bucks, the bucks were definitely right there with the does. Uh, that big buck stepped out and, and joined up with them. I was down there the first week of January. I didn't see them actually any breeding though. Uh huh. Um, and so I may have been like right a day or two early for that. So let's say that let's say that the peak rut was. It was like January, say, 3rd through 8th where I was, or 3rd through 10th. Mm -hmm. And then I went back. I went back later in the month, and the deer were all dispersed. They were scattered. Uh, at least the, the mule deer were. And, um, and what I'm curious about is, let's say the rut was, peak rut was January 8th um, uh -huh. on that drought setting is because you've had better water this year is is the rut likely to be a you know peak rut central arizona the same or is it likely to be earlier than so what I we, we don't really have a peak rut here arizona okay. uh for the most part is a trickle rut they will start they will start rutting activity sometime in late november and a lot of times it'll go all the way to march oh my gosh yeah, so okay. you, the most action you typically see is, and depending on where you are in the state, so the further north you are, the uh -huh. earlier it starts. And the higher elevation than the further north, the earlier it starts. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, but it, I, it, and it tends to start earlier. Like here in the Phoenix area, like day after Christmas, um, I, that's when I see a lot more running activity. Now okay. I've already been out. I've been out since opening day a couple times and I've opening morning, I found running buck. So, 
uh, it really just depends where you're looking and and whatnot. But yes, when we do have good rains, so when you don't have good rains, it affects the estrus cycle of those. So basically, when there's a when there's a drought, like last year, and I'm just throwing an arbitrary number out there. Let's say, sure. Only 60% of breeding age does hit their estrus cycle. And that might be way off the mark, but so yeah. you just don't have that same intensity that you would have. Um, because, and that's just nature's way of the habitat's not healthy, the deer aren't healthy, so they're not going to reproduce. Yeah. Okay. And that happens a lot. And, and I've seen it more and more of it. Every time that we have a really crappy rain cycle leading up to the rut, and especially during the rut, um, because we didn't have, it was so dry last year during the rut. Like, I don't think it rained the whole, whole December and January. Yeah. Um, then, you know, you see that. You don't see as, as intense. Like, so this year I expect. Um, and yeah, I expect it to be like normal. You yeah. should see, you should see a lot more bucks chasing does, a lot more activity, just them on their feet a lot longer during the day, not bedding down as quickly. Um, that, that kind of, that kind of stuff that that's typical yeah. of, of an Arizona rut hunt. Um, but I, Honestly, there is no peak of the rut here. Like, okay. you can go from unit to unit, and and I tell clients this all the time. They're like, "Oh, where? Which unit are we going to be hunting?" And I'm like, "Um, yeah, all of them. I don't know. You know, it just depends. I have ideas. You know, I have based on years' experience. Like this week, that week, let me go to this unit. But right. it flip flops. You know, I could be up here in Phoenix." and chasing deer and then the following week i could be down by the border you know it just right. kind of it moves it ebbs and flows it's and it's because one we don't have the greatest buck to doe ratio um two it's such a harsh environment and the deer they weren't all bred at the same time so when you have a really close buck to doe ratio um mm -hmm most of your does get bred about the same time. So their estrus cycles are all about the same time. That's like when you go to like Illinois or something for whitetail, you know, from like November 7th, <laughs> you know, from November 7th to the, you know, 14th, you're going to be like freaking hair on fire, uh, you know, and the rut goes the whole month. Right. But it's not, that's why you could say the peak of the rut there. I don't think there is such thing here. Because it literally, you could go from one unit to the next, and you could be having, there could be, you know, fifty does in that unit just smelling great, and everybody and and everybody's frenzying and running around, and it's crazy. And you can literally cross the road into a different unit, and you don't see that. So yeah, yeah. I don't ever put too much weight on dates. Um, I watch the weather. I watch the moon phase. And, it's more the whole season. Yeah. I watch the weather. I watch the moon phase. And I just, 
I keep an eye on on the does. You know, just watching the does. If you got does patterned, you just got to keep going back and checking, sticking and moving, going back to you know to this group. Then you got to go to that group and go to that group and just kind of keep going back and forth. And eventually, you're gonna find that buck because he's gonna find the does that you know that you know about. He's gonna find them for you, right? Right. And that's yeah. That's good. That's good. It's so, it's so different because, you know, California, it, you know, August, September, if I find a big group of does or does and fawns, I'm like, okay, I'm in the nursery now. I need to go find where the, where the, where the boys room is. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, kind of flip that on its head when, you know, the rut is either happening or going to happen because the does are going to be, that's the attractant. That's what's going to bring the bucks in. Yeah. There's, there's really no, there's nothing mystical about the rut. Um, no. Even though any, anywhere and everything you go, you're going to find out, you're going to find people that are, are going to give you, you know, different information that makes makes the rut look mystical and whatnot. So, I, I and I, I say this in, when I, when I talk about elk hunting, when I talk about deer hunting, whitetail, muleys, who's there or whatever your main thing is the boys want to get laid yep. find the girls you know and if you're scouting like you're not this time but if you're and, and maybe technically you are because you said you're going to come back in january right so now might be a great time you locate a bunch of doe herds you know big groups of does right mark those spots man those does probably are not going to go very far from there. They're there for a reason. There's the right feed. There's the right amount of water, the right cover. Those always, their number one focus is all year round is food, food water, cover, you know, and yep. not necessarily in that yep. order, but yep. that's, that's what they're And So if they found the right mix of that, they're usually going to stay there for, for until something changes, right? And yeah. The bucks, this time of year, their main focus is, you know, the girls getting a little something, something. So they, yep. that that's all you need to do is find find the hot spot of where the where the does are at, and eventually you'll have opportunities. You know. Yeah, for me, every trip's a scouting trip. I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> whether I've got a tag in hand or not, it's it's always it's always scouting because I'm always gonna log whatever i find see you know don't see away as as future future information like the trip in january i can't go back there right now because it's not open now yeah but um, I'll, I'll get back there at some point and i know i know the valley and the ridges and the the washes where i was watching those deer and you know maybe it won't be the same deer but but there will be deer there again so yep. it's uh that's that that's an easy. That's an easy go-to. Yeah, if the habitat if hasn't changed, if the habitat hasn't changed much, more more than likely, where yeah. you found deer in the past, there will be deer there again. Yeah, it almost makes it sound easy. Uh, yeah, almost. It is. It's super easy. <laughs> I, you just have to put the time in. Right. So here's here's another thing that I, I I've found and, and maybe you can add to it. Um, you know, my normal home hunting big mountains I like to be six thousand to nine thousand foot elevation. 
like the big basins, get up on a ridge and, and, you know, glass into them and whatnot. And that's where I see deer. Mm-hmm. But down your way in the desert, my first instinct is, of course, to go up high and look into the drainages that are up high in the mountains. Um, but then, but then what I read, like where we talk to the biologists, they're saying that the, the big bucks are down in the flats and in the washes. Yeah, they're not. It all depends. They're not, they're not it all depends. It all depends on the unit. Um, okay. But yes, where you're going, I would say for sure, definitely get up high and look low. Just look look low. Mm-hmm. Don't expect them to be up on. They don't. They don't necessarily venture up onto the the bulls or the basin so much. No, that's that's uh, cool. Not in that unit so much. Uh, no. You know. And it also depends on what kind of deer you're looking for too. Like if you're looking for coos deer, you might look up on the ridges. But even even coos bucks will be down in the rollers and in the flats, and especially this time of year. Um, it's really very unit specific. That that yeah. particular that particular um, thing that you're talking about is is very yeah. unit specific. Got it. But you guys have so much different terrain, like from the northern. Yeah. regions yep. all down south it's uh there's there's a half a dozen there's a there's a dozen dozen different types of deer hunt you guys have so it's uh it's kind of endless um i i'm that was my first hunt out of state and i think arizona is gonna gonna be my my go-to for a while until they take it away well, <laughs> until, they, until they take it away which i guess they're talking about already right yeah In well the, i don't know now 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 that it seems like they've come to a uh, they're going to go to this threshold method, which um, I've, I've been, I'm sort of advocating for because it's a, it was the lesser of all the evils, uh-huh. uh, but um, I'm not sure that it is the um, the solution for long term. So it's not a quota per season, is it? Well, basically, yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar with hunting. Um, if you were to come hunt bear hunting or mountain lion hunting here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to call it in, you know, you have to call in every day technically and mm-hmm. see if the unit is still open. Wow. So technically a unit could close. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you come out of state and you set up camp and then your unit's closed. It's like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, whatever that last unit is that's still open during the the over the counter season would just be a, a quite. A, it'd be a party. Yeah, it'd be you know, ten thousand people in one unit. It's possible. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I really don't. I don't know. I honestly, when I was when I was advocating for it, I don't know if that I thought it through as well I, as as I have now. Um. I, I do see a lot of issues, a lot of problems potentially coming up with, you know, with this new proposed idea. So, yeah, that's definitely something for another podcast. I don't want to get into it yet because I <laughs> policy stuff. I don't know if you, I cover a lot of policy stuff, which, you know, in California, it's a it's a it's a target rich environment because we've got too, too many policies. Right. But um Sometimes there's just no easy answer. I mean, you know. When no, you there really isn't for this for this particular because, you know, something's got to give, right? And 
people just need to understand that if you want a healthy deer herd and maybe yep. potentially get back to where we are now, right? The, right. Ma- the management practices have to stop. Right. You know, they have to change. I should say not stop. They should have, they should have to, they need to change and they need to change quickly and effectively so that we don't lose the deer herd. We have a couple more years of drought. We're going to be fucked. We're not going to even have any deer. Right. Okay. You know, not only the, were yeah. the deer stressed for the last couple of years and dying off and not having farm recruitment, having shitty ass um, rut and not probably not impregnating as many does and so on and so forth, yeah. our success rate went through the roof because yeah. everybody was sitting water and just killing these poor deer that, including myself, I did it too. I sat water, but I didn't think sure. it was going to be continued and keep going the way it was going and it just did i was like oh shit dude it's just getting worse and worse and you there was a point that you could just sit water and you you know if you stay there long enough eventually you were going to kill a deer yeah that it was that kind of situation and uh, it's and honestly i mean we're not there right now um but Sitting water is still a very, very, very viable option for you, especially where you're going. Um, you know, it's going to be a long, boring ass sit for a couple of days, but <laughs> eventually a deer is going to come in there, and you're going to get a shot. So, um, that, that, that maybe days four and five if I'm not if it, if it's just not working out before yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's 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 that. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> do you have any yeah. other? Do you have any other uh, questions? Specific questions? Um, on, no, on, no. On in there, um, not other than you know which cactus do I need to look behind to find uh, you know a two hundred inch buck? But yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll, I will report back to you on which cactus I found it behind. Um, perfect. After the after the hunt. Perfect. Perfect. So you, so you can scroll that away. All right. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. All yeah, right, Mike. Well, uh, happy drive over here, and uh, good luck to you on this week. And um, why don't you tell our listeners about your podcast real quick, and uh, they, they can uh, take a listen yeah. to you. Yeah. podcast is called Hunting Ain't Easy, uh, inspired by my uh, the fact that I'm here in California, and it's Took four years to get my first first big game animal, which is a, a, a black bear, and I got that in I guess 2020, and this year I thought I took my first buck. Right. Yeah, first buck in this year, 2021, and so Hunting Easy is on Instagram, of course, and then all the typical podcast channels. The focus that I like to have is is very much California hunting. And then um, I'll say maybe 30% of what I do cover is, is regulatory issues here in the state. And I just, you know, my big deal is as a hunting community, and you talk about this, mm-hmm. you know, the hunting community, we've got a voice if we get ourselves aligned together and, and not focus on bashing each other, but focus on, you know, hunting access, hunting rights. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a good voice. And, and so I want to get people in the state um, 
together to where we're we're speaking the same language and we're and we're leading the dialogue, not always reacting to the dialogue. Right, right. No, that's great, man. I appreciate it. Um, appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. I will. Uh, I look forward to hearing what you what you come up with over there, and uh, have a safe drive. And we'll talk Thanks, to you soon. Sir. All right, John. Take care. Thanks right. for the time. We'll yeah. see you. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Okay. Hey, thanks to John for taking some time with me on a Friday afternoon. Talk about Arizona deer hunting and uh, the opportunity that I had at hand to go down there to the Southwest and do some, some muley hunting. Um, so let's go into the, I'm going to go into the recap of this and just a little more background on it. You know, Arizona's got opportunities that are really unique, I think, um, for any of us that, that like to hunt. You know, for the most part, most Western states, hunting is in August or September till, you know, November uh, endeavor. And um, what makes Arizona unique is that they do have this over-the-counter archery opportunity. And, um, you know, an out-of-state, well, a, a, a license, a hunting license in Arizona is, is good for 365 days. And that's from the date that you, you make it effective. So when you buy your license, you can state what day you want it to be effective. And then, um, so it's not a calendar year license, it's 365 days, which is, which is not, you know, typical for all, all states. And so that's unique. And then the other thing that they've got is on their over-the-counter archery hunt. Um, and there may be some changes coming up on this, but current state uh, when you buy that tag, it's good for the calendar year. So back in late December of 2020, I decided I was going to go do the January archery hunt in Arizona. So I had my my license set to activate on like December 31st of 2020. Um, so it'd be, you know, it would be in effect um, a day before January 1st. And then when I got down there into Arizona, I bought my 2021 over-the-counter deer tag, um, which gave me the, the opportunity to archery hunt for, for deer in any one of a couple different zones across three different seasons, potentially. January, there's a season for many of the zones that's open in January. There's a season open for many of the zones in uh, about mid mid August to early September. That's an archery season, of course. Um, velvet bucks and whatnot. And then there's also a late season archery opportunity in December. It's like December 10th or 11th this year till the end of the year. So with this one tag and this one license, I have available to me literally a couple dozen or more zones across potentially three separate, um, you know, four to five week periods, three, three to five week periods over the course of the year. And it's just a tremendous value. Of course, there's challenges with all of them. Um, you know, hunting in August or September in Arizona, you're talking some wicked heat. It's obviously in conflict with, with most of our other, seasons that we've got especially here in california it, it lines up directly with with most of our archery seasons here in california 
Um, but the real opportunity that stands out that's so unique compared to most other Western states is what, what you have available to you in December um, and in January. And so since I had this tag, I went down in January of, of this year. Um, I went down to one of the central, I'll, I'll say central Arizona zones that was um, available at the time. And I got down there for the first of January. I think it was the first hunt was like the first to the fourth. And those four days I, I saw, I saw, you know, d- bucks grouped up with does um i'd say it was pre-rut or they weren't really it wasn't a peak rut situation of course the drought was so bad that the rut itself was weak across most of the state and so but it was it was unique to see um a dozen or more deer just out in midday splendor you know living like deer do without um you know, without being high, hidden away all day. And so that was a tremendous experience to get to see so many deer and see probably about a half a dozen bucks and, and try to chase these bucks over the course of the four days I was down there. Um, yeah, I never got, I, I did add one stock that I got closer, close enough to about 30 yards. Of course, I bumped the buck once I got that close. And so no shot fired. And then the rest of the days I was having a hard time just getting closer than say a hundred yards or so, but still it was, it was quite an experience from a you know from a hunting perspective to see so many deer um out throughout the day on their feet uh focused on each other because <laughs> it was it was near or within the rut and um as opposed to being constantly in a mode of of hiding out and and being you know semi-nocturnal and whatnot so i had that tag and then I went down at the end of January because I got another opportunity to shoot down there and try to do a little weekend warrior thing and hammer out a three more days or so. Um, and at that point, most of the the deer that I had been trying that I'd been following earlier in the month, they they more or less had dispersed. Was not seeing them as much. My guess is at that point for that group of deer, the rut was over, and um, and they were done. They were back to hiding out and and staying staying you know hidden and laying low um but i still have this tag i've got it i've got it for the year uh the license that i had because i put 365 days on it starting december 31st would be good until you know through the 30th of this year and uh, i've got this tag that's good for the calendar year and there's a, a dozen or more zones open in december and so i figured well let's go use this tag and see what I can do. And so I looked up, um, I looked into some of the different zones that were available and decided to go down to, to Southwest Arizona. Um, real, you know, true, true desert wilderness type of terrain and, um, got down there. Uh, I, so some of the other podcasts that I like to follow John Stallone, obviously I follow him closely. Uh, Jay Scott outdoors. I follow, um i also like to follow a guy named marlon holden his uh his instagram is is gray light hunter he does a lot of desert hunting there's a guy named chad roberts who who john stallone has had on the podcast and you got to listen to this the podcast with chad roberts and marlon holden um gray light hunter because they talk about desert hunting and and it's very easy when you do the e-scouting you listen to these guys' stories about hunting in the desert and, um, 
you kind of put this picture in your mind, put the, together this picture in your mind of, of how it's going to go down. And I definitely had the idea in my mind that it was going to be a hard hunt. I wasn't going to see a lot of deer. Um, I was going to spend a lot of time behind glass, you know, glassing down into these, these washes and a wash. If you're not familiar with the, the terminology, um, a wash is basically a dry riverbed and it's dry. Um, you know, 95% of the time, these riverbeds are dry, except for during, you know, big rainstorms. And a lot of times those big rainstorms down the Southwest happen during the summer, they're in the monsoon season. Um, and then they turn into, you know, raging torrents of rivers, um, as all this water flushes out of the, out, out of the high desert and out of the, out of the mountains. Um, and so during the dry periods of the year, the moisture that's underground is often under these washes and that the forage and the, the, the trees and the, you know, where you find green, you know, not, I wouldn't say lush, but where you find, um, the best forage and shelter for deer is often in these washes as well. And the washes are not narrow little creeks. They're often very broad, you know, they'll be say 10 to 20 to 40 feet deeper down below the normal level of the desert. Um, but they'll be wide. They could be anywhere between, you know, a hundred yards and a mile wide. And so where I'm coming from in California and the type of hunting I'm used to and that I seek out here in California, of course, high alpine, you know, above the tree line, high basins, you know, backcountry hunting, my mindset gravitates towards going towards the upper ends of these washes where they meet the mountains or when they actually start to move up into the mountains and they start to form canyons up in the mountains, almost like the headwaters of these washes. And so I form this picture in my mind, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get back as far in as I can. You know, I like to get to the end of the road and then I like to get to the end of the trail. And so that's the type of hunting that I do. That's what I gravitate towards. And, um, and sure enough, that's what happened. So when I got down there, um, you know, bonsai run down Friday, got down there like in the middle of the night. Like I think I got to the, the actual zone where I was actually on a, on a dirt road heading out into the area that I would be hunting. It was probably like 1am. I don't think I got settled until, you know, where I parked the truck until like 2.30 or 3 a.m. So I'm a little exhausted at this point. It's Saturday morning and um, close my eyes for a little bit and then wake up and, and look around and I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm where I want to be. You know, I'm not sure if I, this is exactly where I wanted to be. I drove in in the dark, so I couldn't really see what I was, what I was looking at. Just have my, have my map and, you know, have Onyx to look at for reference. And so I spent most of the day Saturday, um, not most of the day, I spent the first half of the day Saturday relocating and what, what it, relocating can take some time in this area. Um, these gravel roads and Jeep roads and, and whatnot, they go out into the desert and they go for miles and miles. And uh, there's, they're in varying degrees of, of, uh, of quality on some of these. Some of them are actually named roads. Um, and I would say that they're maintained in the sense that they're scraped, you know, they'll, they'll run a scraper across it, you know, a few times a year to, to smooth it out. 
and whatnot. Um, but in a lot of areas, they're not maintained. It's just, it's literally like driving through the riverbed itself, driving up through the wash. And um, thank goodness I did have, you have to have four wheel drive if you want to go down here. If you want to get off of a named road and go down to this area, you've got to have four wheel drive. You should have a tow strap. You should have traction boards, um, et cetera. I actually helped some guy get out of a, of a sand pit at one point because he was, he was buried up to his axles. Um, and I had some traction boards that I brought. And so anyways, getting re relocating can be slow going, uh, especially if you're not, if it's your first time there and like any other first time adventure into a hunting zone, it's, it's 80% scouting. It's just figuring out how to get from point A to point B or how to get into the area that you want to hunt, which is, which is, you know, critical. Um, so I relocate. And, um, naturally being the wired the way I am, I, I want to drive out one of the, uh, access roads as far as I can and up in elevation as high as I can. And we're only talking a few hundred foot elevation change at this point, but getting out towards where the wash kind of starts to meet the mountains. Um, because that's just, again, that's how I'm wired, um, that's in a little bit in contrast to what people had told me about where the deer are. Uh, a lot of folks had said, told me that the deer spend their time down in the wash. They don't spend their time up in the mountains. The deer are down in the washes, the deer are down in the flats below the mountains, or the deer are, are um, down close to agricultural fields. If below the flats, if you get down towards a, a, a river or a water source or a, or a basin, um, there might be uh, agricultural fields, which the deer will spend a lot of time close to as well, both for food as well as for, for, for water. So got relocated, got up into close to the mountains where the, the wash is kind of fed up into the canyons that come out of the mountains and uh, got myself situated. I, I felt like I was the only one out there. And uh, there's very little evidence of, of a lot of activity, a lot of people. And so really the entire day that I was driving out there and, and getting located and then also that afternoon and evening doing some hiking and glassing, I saw zero other people, zero other vehicles, zero other people. And it was awesome because I love, I love getting out there and getting remote to where I'm not feeling pressured. Um, the biologist I had talked to about the area said, hey, like in terms of pressure, you're not going to have any pressure. Um, this, is, this area is you know, low deer density not a lot of high pressure for bow hunting. So you'll be by yourself. And, and he was very much, he was, he was correct. Um, but that evening, that afternoon and evening, I, I got out and did like a three mile hike and um, spent most of the, the four hours that I spent on that hike, you know, moving real slow, doing a lot of glassing in every direction um, and, uh, and saw nothing. <laughs> and so my picture of like uh, spending a few hours glassing and seeing some amazing, you know, mature bucks step out in from the shade of a, of a, of a tree, um, or a, or a bush and, uh, being right there in, into my sights that didn't come to fruition, didn't happen. Um, but, uh, I did come across one little pile of scat, you know, I did come across what looked like a bed and some scat, 
up in the the rocky ridges and and that actually threw a question my way which came up a couple times during this hunt was i was up close to the mountains up into the rocks that transition between the flats and the washes and the mountains that transition and the areas in supposedly supports wild sheep as well and so i kind of had to question myself like am i looking at wild sheep beds and scat or am i looking at deer um and i didn't really have the answer to that i don't know if i'd even have the answer to that now but um i didn't see a lot of deer sign at this point and so that was a concern but Saturday afternoon and evening, I got a lay of the land of where I was. I got a lay of, I got an idea of what I wanted the next day to go or what I want the, the, my plan to be for the next day. And so I figured out where I would go to get my first, you know, morning glassing and then afternoon glassing sessions in and laid up my plans for Sunday. Um, Saturday night, you know, sleeping out there. It was cool. It was cold. It's not not cold. It was crisp. You know, it's in like in the the forties, I think, maybe the high thirties overnight. Full moon, just absolutely full moon. This this four or five days I was up there, which I'm sure didn't help because it's like it was like having a flashlight in my face the entire night sleeping. Um, very bright full moon, crystal clear skies, dead silent. I mean. Even in the Sierra Nevada, when I'm up in the mountains, I feel like there's some noise. You can hear, you can hear a train, or you can hear the highway. Even like five miles away, you can even hear, you know, the interstate if you're in the right spot. Um, trees are bigger, trees are taller, so any kind of wind, you can hear the the breeze through the trees. In this area, it was dead silent. It was amazing how quiet it was, and um, is really a neat experience. So that alone was pretty cool, but, um, got a decent night's sleep Sunday morning up early, got out to a vantage point and this vantage point that I had, um, gave me a, 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 a long view. I could see literally probably two or three miles down along this wash. I could see all the way across this wash and I could see, um, you know, probably a mile across and, you know, half a mile up towards the hills or up to the mountains and then another you know two or three miles as far as my binoculars and, and spine and scope could look you know down the wash and so had a really good location there um and i felt like it was a good spot to to be able to see animals moving um as the sun comes up uh, possibly out feeding and or you know down in the wash throughout the day and um even even when animals even when the the deer you know they bed down in the wash they're going to get up and move a couple times a day they're going to relocate themselves you know they're going if they're in the shade if they're chasing shade as the sun moves they're going to get up and relocate they're going to stretch their legs they're going to walk around a little bit they're going to feed some more you know do their you know pee poop and 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 you know re replace themselves somewhere else so um I'm thinking as long as I've got my eyes in the wash and I'm picking it apart, I'm looking at trees, looking at the shady side of the, the of any of the bushes and the trees that are down in there. Um, 
and I'm just focused on that area, at some point I'm either see something moving or I'm going to see something bedded down. And so gave this um, about half the day and then, uh, you know, didn't see anything. And then relocated a little bit further to where I could get up onto another knob, another high spot. And uh, on that second high spot that I got to, uh, I actually found a couple beds. I actually posted one of these pictures up on Instagram. Um, I did a little survey on, you know, is this a sheep bed or is this a deer, a deer bed? And, or I should say scrape because I found when I got to the second knob in the afternoon on the northeast side of it, which of course would be the shady spot in the afternoon, on the northeast side of this knob, um, found a, what looked like a scrape. It was uh, probably about three feet across, um, had big old, two big old piles of scat. And then you could tell that there was urine in the middle of it. So this, you know, whether it was a, a, a mule deer or a sheep had, had done a couple squats, you know, dropped some poop and, and peed in the middle of it and then moved on. And I found another bed close by with a, with a pile of scat as well. And, um, what I, what told me it was fresh was the fact that it had rained, you know, this is Sunday. It had rained in this area on Thursday. So I'm thinking this is new since Thursday, since you could tell that the, the urine was there. And so us being our, you know, hunters being, um, kind of hack wildlife biologists trying to figure out what we're interpreting or how to interpret what we're seeing. I, um, I was excited to see this. Uh, but I, again, I didn't know, is this, is this a wild sheep scrape or, or is this a mule deer scrape? And, um, I, I don't know the answer to that yet. I haven't, uh, and I may not know it until I go back down there again and, and see, see the wildlife themselves. So anyways, relocated Sunday afternoon and spent the rest of the day, uh, glassing, glassing and glassing and still no luck and so literally from i was i was in the seat i was seated and 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 glassing and and watching the habitat there from an hour or so before sunrise until um sun after sunset and no luck um mentally uh that that's the, one of the most challenging things is mentally being queued up and ready for something to show up, like believing that the next minute, the next bush I look under, the next shady spot of a tree is where I'm going to find that buck. It is, it is one of the most exhausting things to be mentally queued up for that success the entire time while not having any of that success. So a um, little frustrating. I gave that wash uh, my best. I gave it a day. Um, I had to decide, do I f continue focusing here? You know, I could basically, I knew there was wildlife in the area based on the scat. Um, I didn't know if it was deer or sheep. And I knew that was only a sure thing on the fact that it had been there at a prior time. I didn't know if they were still there. And so I kind of had a choice, either invest another day. And at that point, why not invest the entire trip into this one area? 
or relocate to where you know an area that that might have more more animals more wildlife and um and so i chose that that evening once after dark i would relocate down the same wash go about three miles down the wash from where i was sitting it looked like the trees were denser maybe the the foliage was a little more, more lush a little more moisture in the ground um further down the wash and so i figured i'd, I'd relocate about three miles or so down downhill and um and wake up the next morning to a new location and so i i flipped the coin basically and chose to relocate as opposed to continuing to invest in that one spot and i don't know if one answer is more right than the other you know there are some people that will say you know the deer are there it just takes time to discover them to find them to have them present themselves in a way that you can see them other people say don't don't continue looking for deer where you don't see deer like just you know there's a lot of good habitat that doesn't have animals that you can see and if you don't see them go find other habitat that has them so i went with the relocation philosophy um that was sunday evening so monday uh, again, got out before sunrise. At this point, I'm on the same wash. You know, if a water, if water was flowing where I'd been before, it would flow past me at this point where I am now. And um, <clears throat> but the but the uh, the 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 wash at this point is wider, but it also has more more trees. It, it's a little more lush in the sense that it's got more foliage and. Uh, could be good for both bedding and for forage for the animals. So I got out and um, again did the glassing in throughout the morning. Um, each side of these washes has a ridge usually, and it's often almost like kind of like a plateau. And so you can kind of walk along the ridge um, or along that plateau and then there's little side washes that come up and cut into it. Everything in the everything in the desert, if you look far enough, it looks flat. If you if your view is distant enough, it looks flat. But the reality is, it's not, it's nothing but it's it's anything but flat. It's not flat at all. And so there's always cuts. Um, and you got your main wash, which has cuts within it, and then you've also got you know cuts that come off the sides of these washes. And so I spent, um, I relocated a few times throughout the morning along this ridge, or along this plateau to looks down in the wash from different angles. And so moved a little bit. And this is when I saw, lo and behold, <laughs> I saw a, uh, a doe. I, I, I'm not sure if I bumped this doe in two fawns or if, um, if they were just out doing their own thing and, and, uh, and I saw them while they were on the move, but, um, I saw some movement on a hill, so not down in the wash, up on a hill, which is where they're, they're not supposed to be. I was thinking they'd be down the wash. Anyway, saw saw some movement. Turns out it was about four or 500 yards out that I saw a doe and two fawns uh, moving across this hill. And they gave me the look back um, as they rounded the, the, the edge of the as they rounded it to where they were about to disappear. And so she was aware of me, um, 
literally from 500 yards out, which is which is uncanny. But uh, that's the way it is. They've got great they've got great vision and great hearing, and they can pick up on predators at a significant distance. So um, while it was it was it was nice to see some animals, it was nice to see deer on the hoof moving. Um, and nice to see a doe with two fawns that were looking healthy at this time. That was good. That's, that's, that's always a good thing. Um, I tried to follow them enough to, um, see if they could, if they were going to group up with another group of deer and I could not relocate them. So, you know, I, they went around one side of the ridge. I dropped to the backside of that ridge went along it about a half a mile to where I thought I could come out and pop up over the ridge and maybe I'd see them down in, in a, in another smaller, uh, kind of gully or smaller wash that they were heading to. And, uh, it did not work out that way. So at this point, um, this area has not performed. I've given it the morning and what's pulling at my mind at this point is that there is an area within probably an hour's drive where I know there is a water tank. And that's the other thing that um, Arizona, Arizona Game and Fish has, has set up literally hundreds of water tanks and water systems throughout the desert uh, to support the wildlife, both the mule deer and antelope and, uh, and, and sheep populations and elk populations. So I knew about a tank that was um, within about an hour's drive on a completely different, you know, side of the mountain range that I was up against and a different wash. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, the water is an issue, you know, maybe where I am now that the deer are more active down towards the river or the ag fields. Um, that's not the area I want to hunt. And so maybe I'm better off, you know, relocating and giving this water, this area that's, that's close to a water tank a shot. Um, and so th that afternoon was that Monday afternoon bounced out to a third location and, um, drove out this, this, uh, drove out, oh man, I was probably another five to eight miles deeper. So I had to relocate to uh, along a, a main road several miles out and then cut up a spur from that road up uh, another kind of gravel spur out out uh, quite a ways. And so at this point, I'm back up against the mountains, um, different wash and even that much more removed from, from, from civilization. But there's this tank out there, which was fascinating just to even see how that setup works. It's basically, uh, imagine roofing material, you know, like metal, metal, metal sheeting put down on the ground to pick up rainwater so it doesn't absorb into the ground. That rainwater goes into a gutter, which then goes into a, a tank underground. And then the tank is set up to continually feed um, a small little pool of water, you know, literally like just a three or four feet foot in diameter little little opening that uh, wildlife can get to and so that was pretty cool to see for the first time in person uh, since I've read so much about them but um, hike some ridges around that you know I wasn't going to sit and just sit and watch over that tank because the wildlife they know they know not to come to those tanks during the day if they don't have to and um, 
I figured I would, you know, just kind of hike the ridges, you know, plus or minus a mile in any direction around that tank and get a sense of what the land looks like. Um, I got I to gotta back up. Every day I'm out there, I'm seeing burrows. I'm seeing uh, wild donkeys on the hoof in groups of anywhere between, you know, two or three at a time to um, upwards of where I saw at one point, like 30 or 40 in a, in a, in a, in a group. And so these burrows are out there. And I thought at this point I was going to be, um, because I was, I was further away from the river and more further away from the ag fields, a little deeper into the wilderness area and up against the mountains. I thought I would be, uh, have gotten away from the burrows. And so as I'm up on this new area and I'm walking some of these ridges and I'm glassing, you know, looking maybe like a thousand yards out and I see, I see wildlife, I see animals on hoof and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, this might be it. Maybe these are deer. And, um, sure enough, they weren't, they were burrows. They were burrows up in the mountains (laughs) again. And, um, so at least, at least the, the burrows kept me sharp in the sense that I, I could, I was, if I wanted to glass something up at, you know, 500 to a thousand yards out, I could glass up a burrow and make sure my eyes were still working. So anyways, that was, um, I think Monday evening, I relocated out to this area by the tank and, um, glass up more burrows, of course. Uh, and again, kind of set forth the, the plan for the next day, um, which would have been Tuesday. And so Tuesday, uh, I I had an idea of where I wanted to go on this new wash, what I wanted to focus on, and I got out early and got you know got up to a good glassing point and knob that was probably two three hundred feet vertical feet above the wash and uh, gave me a good view, literally almost almost like two hundred seventy degree view of of the habitat around me and um, and the wash itself, and so got up there and again you know, gave it three or four hours dedicated, just nothing but behind the binos, um, looking down into the wash, looking into the ridges around it, uh, looking under the trees into every shady spot I could and no deer, no deer. Um, also very little deer sign, really none to speak of as I was walking out there in terms of scat. So that afternoon, that the second half of that day, I decided to go down into the wash itself and hike up the wash um, or hike along the edge of the wash. The wind was in such a way that if I was walking back down the wash, the wind would be in my face. And so I walked out another mile or two along the ridge, kind of shadowing the wash, knowing that I would walk back towards camp in the wash itself and um, went out that way and uh, continually glassing down into it. I mean, this is really a boring story because <laughs> what Mike do, he glassed in the wash and he didn't see anything. Um, it's rinse and repeat all over again. But uh, anyways, you know, when I got out further up the wash, you know, a mile or two, um, I discovered just before I was going to tap out and start hiking back, I saw some, what looked like some fresh tracks, some fresh deer tracks in the wash. And they were heading out 
one of these side washes that kind of cuts out laterally. And I was like, oh, I'll follow this. And so I was able to follow um, these relatively fresh tracks. Again, it has rained within about four or five days. So I know they're fresher than that. But they really look like they could have been laid down in the last two day or two. Um, so I follow these tracks out this sidewash about a half a mile. And as I'm doing this, I'm seeing more and more deer sign. I'm seeing more and more scat. And I'm seeing, you know, kind of ye literally yellow yellow spots in the sand where, where the deer have, have urinated in the sand. Um, and so I'm seeing all this stuff that's telling me, like, there's deer that are active in this area. And uh, I'm just not seeing them you know and so but it's just enough to keep the keep the mind going and, and keep keep me moving um you know moving slow and looking for them and so then after about a mile and a half and a couple hours you know slow hiking out one of these side washes and back down a secondary one um to the main wash i started hiking back down the main wash towards my camp, which is probably about is about three miles away at that point. And so I slow hike through the main wash with the wind in my face. So I'm hoping that I'm at least going to bump something. Um, it's impossibly quiet out here. You're walking on gravel. You're walking on gravel and sand, and you know it's all granite based. So it's super crunchy. Um, so the wind is in my face, which is good. Walking down through this main wash, hard, hard to be quiet. Um, I'm just hoping I can at least bump something that tells me there's some bucks in this area. And I did not bump anything, but while I was in the wash, um, in this riverbed at a point that was probably about a third to a half a mile long, and it was at its narrowest point where it narrowed down between you know, some rocks on each side. Um, it's probably about 150 yards wide. And so I'm walking down the middle of it. Um, there was deer scat everywhere. Like there was deer poop and you could see where they'd urinated as well um, along in the areas where the poop was throughout this, this wash. And so I'm thinking these animals are really active in this area probably using it as like a main corridor maybe as a feeding area um all night long you know i'm not i'm not bumping any animals at this point so they're slipping out getting out away from me before i could even see them because i'm making too much noise or they're just not in there during the day but they're in there um you know at nighttime really active so that was encouraging um but uh no dice, no dice on the animals. Um, no, no, didn't see any deer in there, just lots of sign. Um, so next morning at that point, it was on my last day and um, I was ready to tap out. Got up early in the morning, did a little, just did uh, some morning glassing uh, and bumped uh, multiple groups of burrows again. Got within like 100 yards of a couple of them. They, they don't like people any more than the deer do. Um, but uh, they, uh, they start to bug out if you get too close. And um, saw probably half a dozen groups of burrows, all w between three and five burrows each. And um, they, do what, they do what deer do. They, they run away 
and then between 300 and 500 yards out, they turn around and look at you. And uh, they, they watch what you're going to do. And if you continue moving towards them, they bump some more. Um, so the, the burrows were fun, although not nearly as fun if they'd been mule deer. So Wednesday was very similar, short glassing session. Again, looking down into the wash, um, looking down into the basins that were there and looking under the trees, looking in the shade and just didn't see any deer, um, despite the amount of sign that was out there. So I would say, you know, as, as adventures go, this whole hunt was exactly what I expected it to be. Uh, the terrain was awesome. The habitat's really unique and interesting. Uh, the weather was great. You know, while we're getting, you know, rain and snow all over Northern California, it was, you know, lows were in the, in the mid thirties to high thirties, um, mostly though in the forties and then highs were in the, the fifth mid fifties to mid sixties. So the weather was fantastic. Um, light breeze each day. I will say Arizona, when, when you have a North wind, it is a very chilly North wind, but, um, weather was great. And the train is just so, so different. It's just a stark contrast to what we have in California. You know, if you're a Rocky mountain hunter, or if you're a, you know, if you're a Sierra Nevada hunter, uh, Cascades hunter, and you want to see something new and different, that's, that's just tremendous and exciting, you know, go to Arizona and, and spend some time in the desert because, you know, when you fly across the desert, when you fly over this area and you look down, it just looks flat and barren. But when you get down there on the ground, it's not flat. It's not barren. It's really interesting and exciting. Um, so adventure-wise, it was a great hunt. Had a great time. Um, the biologists are right. Low deer density and hard hunting in terms of uh, very difficult to turn these deer up. They know how to hide. They know how to go about their, their you know, making a living while being unseen. And um, I'll be back. Yeah, I, I, I've got a five day scouting trip into this area now and I, I have some ideas about, you know, where I know I wouldn't go. And and so I may I may use that experience to uh, to get, to feed into another trip down there. Um, so anyways, Arizona hunting, it's got some great opportunities. I encourage anybody that's looking for out of state opportunities to explore what Arizona Game and Fish has to offer. Um, most other than the, other than the over-the-counter archery deer hunt opportunity, um, almost all the other tags are, are a draw, are in the draw. And it may take, you know, one to several years to get anything that's, you know, elk or deer related. Um, they have over-the-counter, uh, bear hunting opportunities as well as draw some draw tags for some of the bear hunting opportunities that uh, I, I plan on getting down there in the next year or two for uh, at least one bear hunt. And then uh, Arizona is known for having tremendous elk and antelope opportunities. So check it out, you know, do some research and look at what Arizona has got to offer. You're going to hear this podcast in time to, Get yourself a license and a tag if you want and go down there and run around the desert for a week or so during uh, the rut um, in January. 
2022. And if you do that, you'll have a tag that you can use multiple times. Uh, if you don't fill it in January, you could try to fill it in August, September of 2022, or even in December of 2022. So, um, you know, and if you do that, again, listen in to the numerous podcasts that John Stallone has on his Days in the Wild podcast. Um, he's got a lot of resources there, a lot of conversations that you can pick up some information from that will help you uh, tune up your, your skill set for a desert hunt in Arizona. And uh, I think you'll have a good time. You won't regret it. I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's nothing's free today. You know, these days you'll be into it for, uh, I don't know, about $450, I think, in terms of license and tag, something like that. Um, you can hunt, you can camp, you can truck camp most places. There's a lot of BLM land and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of public land opportunities. So definitely give it a look and uh, listen in to Days in the Wild to learn a little more. And uh, let me know what you end up doing down there. So shoot me a note on Instagram, hunting ain't easy at Instagram. Let me know what you'd find down there in the desert and uh, how the hunting goes for you. So thanks for listening in and uh, we'll catch you in the new year.